1: the earth. Destruction. Directed. 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 <coughs> Hello and welcome everyone once again to Earth Destruction Directive. As always, I am your host, Mr. Luke Giaconetti. I want to thank everyone for downloading the show and listening to us today. I hope everybody enjoyed our last episode where we took a look at the 1966 Samurai Daikaiju Mashup Daimajin. And we got a really good show for you today, but uh, it's a very special show this time out. And I'd like now to introduce my special guest. You might know him. From over on the Fan Holes podcast, including the superlative Toku Thursday podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, please give a warm Earth Destruction Directive welcome to my friend, Mr. Derek Crab. Hello, Derek.
2: Hey, what's going on, Luke? This is awesome. I'm I'm super happy. I just want to say that I'm a big, huge fan of Earth Destruction Directive, So this is this is an honor and a privilege. I'm I'm super excited to talk Toku with you.
1: <laughs> I'm just glad I was um, we had first come into contact because you uh, you sent me an email that you had uh, you guys had mentioned the show I did with the Irredeemable Shag, comparing Ultraman and Doctor Who, and that's while I started listening to your show, and then you guys started not not long after that you, you and uh, you guys had spun off the Toku Thursday show. And you were talking yeah. about Android Kikaider, and I'm like, "Oh, this is fantastic! Some old school Tokusatsu on a podcast. It's absolutely fantastic." So,
2: yeah, no, I, I love Kikai, so and, and and I know a lot of my fellow fanholes love Sentai and Toku as well. So it seemed to work out for us. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's this is just fun stuff. And I think I think listening to your show is in large part how that sort of percolated in in our heads. You know, so
1: yeah. Hey, uh, did you see they're doing the SH figure arts of Android Kikaider?
2: Uh it's kind of funny that you mentioned that I'm hopelessly addicted I actually have that and I just got the uh Hakida in the mail yeah. like the other day so uh, I'm, cool. I'm I'm doomed <laughs> I'm totally doomed
1: so oh, yeah deep, yeah I, I got to the point with the, the not so much the SH figuarts but with Ultra Act that I had to finally just say, okay, no more. I I told I told my wife. I said, I'm going to get Ultraman 80 when he comes out, and that is it. I'm not buying any more of it because, you know, it's it's one thing if you're buying it's one thing like buying vinyls or something like that. You know, a Spark Doll costs like four bucks. Okay, I can live with that. But when you're dropping thirty to forty bucks on you know a a figure art or a Ultra Act every month, sometimes several times a month. (laughs)
2: Yeah, it, well, especially because now it seems like every other thing, like the Kakaida and Hakaida that you were talking about, like they're all web exclusives. Mm-hmm. So it's like then if you try to get it from not Japan, then all of a sudden it's like, hey, we're just going to double or triple oh, yeah. the price on this. And I'm just like sitting there going like, you know, I, I wanted to make like a funny web comic at some point where I had Ultraman Zero with, Ultraman, Ultimate Zero, and they just look at each other and they're like, hey, what's up, dude? And he's like, hey, I cost three times as much as you, but we're basically the same figure, you know? and Stuff
1: like that. So I, I, I know the feeling because I remember when they did the uh, uh, Gavin, Sheravan and Shader when they were all the, the VAC Metal, SH Figure Arts, and I was like, oh, those look fantastic. All web exclusives, all like 80 bucks a piece. I'm like, and they don't look that fantastic. Thank you very much. <laughs> And then, and now I was, I was, uh, I was talking to a friend of mine who's a big anime fan yesterday. I found that not only Tamashii Nations did a um, a robot spirits of Doriamon, and an SH Figure Arts of Nobu from from Doriamon, And it's like, oh my god! It's like I can't justify eighty bucks on that on the two of them. I yeah. just can't. As much as I like Doriamon, I can't do it.
2: <laughs> I think, I think, I, well, I mean, I'm sure we'll get more deep into this as we we go into the topic of the day. But I, I think what we're about to discuss has has hopelessly got its hooks into me as far as collecting, like, Ultra Act figures. Oh, Because yeah. it's, it's basically, like, it's awesome, but it's it's a huge commercial oh, for all no those doubt. figures. You know?
1: No yeah. doubt. No doubt at all. So, uh, we today, as Derek alluded to, we're going to be talking about the movie Mega Monster Battle Ultra Galaxy Legends the Movie. And uh, I'm, we do love our ridiculous Japanese titles uh, <laughs> as tokusatsu fans, and this is <laughs> And and but the, the the reason for the name is that this was the film which spun out of uh, Mega Monster Battle and Mega Monster Battle Never Ending Odyssey. That's why it ha- and it features the the crew of the Space Pen Dragon and the Ray- and Ray and all that from those series. But it's much better known as the film that introduces the kind of the new wave of uh, Ultraman with Ultraman Zero. Uh, so as I said, it's it's. Uh, yeah, very much a, a long commercial, but it's an awesome one at the same time. So you can't really complain oh, yeah. too much about it.
2: <laughs> yeah, I feel like I feel like even in the context of the film, like even if you're coming to it as a, a new viewer, like I myself, I still have never watched the Mega Monster Battle Ultra Galaxy series, mm-hmm. and I know it ran for like two seasons, and then there was a second season that was called Neo. And like, I'm honestly like woefully unfamiliar with that show uh, for for whatever reasons you know I just didn't have the chance to watch it I think when it first came on because it wasn't subtitled or fan subbed right. and at this point I just I still haven't watched it mm-hmm. but like I guess Jim shooter is fond of in his heyday you know everybody's Comic is their first comic, and there's a nice little prologue where it basically gives you the the cliff notes, mm-hmm. you know, of, of of what you need to know to be up to speed. And it's not even, you know, it's like
1: a minute or two, and yeah. y- you feel like,
2: oh, hey, I, I know what's going on. Like I, I know exactly what's going
1: on. Oh so. yeah, yeah. I've, I've seen I've seen pretty much all of the of Mega Monster Battle, but not I haven't seen really any of Neverending Odyssey before I saw this, and now you know, it's, again, it just gives you everything you need to know. Right as you get started. So you can't uh, can't fault it for that. But, uh, so let, let's get right into it. What do you say?
2: Yeah, let's do it.
1: So our story opens with a red and blue orbs flying through space before they land on some distant planet. And this turns out to be my boy, Bemular, and Ultraman Mabius. And Mabius is hunting down Bemular, and after a, uh, a brief tussle... He ends up destroying Bemular with his, um, I think it's his uh, Mabium Beam, I think it's his finisher, and then he flies back to the land of the light. So I, I just thought this was really cool because in this, you know, big, relatively speaking, big-budget, feature-length, theatrically-released film, the first monster we see is Bemular, who, of course, was the first monster that Ultraman fought way back in 1966.
2: Yeah, it was very, very apropos. Yeah. I, I, I was thinking when, when... We were going to discuss this. I know uh, one of your colleagues that you often do shows with is Sean Engel, and I was thinking, you know how you sell Sean Engel on watching like this movie or Ultraman Mobius? You just tell him like Ultraman Mobius is like the Kyle Rayner of, of Ultraman, <laughs> and like and you could tell him like Akari is like the Guy Gardner, and then yep. he'll be like foaming at the mouth. <laughs> like, get him, get him on board, you know? Yeah,
1: yeah totally. I could see that. I, I just what, one of the things that's recurring in this is that the all the monster suits are, for the most part, really nice because there's some reused suits, but a lot of these are, are you know, new renditions of these monsters for the first time in, in decades in some cases, Bemular being a fine example of that. And the suit, it updates the design, but still is easily recognizable. And now that they have a new suit for them, these, all these monsters that got these updated looks are now appearing um, you know, over and over in future projects. You know, so we see uh, Red King shows up in this, Tyrant, you know, Bemular, all these different monsters. And so they show up in the future things because now they have a good suit for them. Yeah. So it's yeah. this nice kind of resurgence for these old school monsters, you know, which works nicely with what they're doing on Ultraman, Ginga, and ginga S by bringing back all the old monsters.
2: So. Yeah, it seems like this this movie and, and Ginga, it's all about, you know, and, and even, even the Mobius TV series, it's very... I, I always kind of thought of it as the kind of if you if you liked what, I guess, Dan DeDio and Jeff Johns did with like the Silver Age of D C comics or whatever, or like, you know, how some people Bring it up as, like, a criticism, but kind of how they herald back to the sort of old history and everything back in the day when they were doing Infinite Crisis. Like, I always thought of Ultraman Mobius as like that because, Mm -hmm. you know, every time you you turned around, you were were running into the the old Showa Ultraman and -hmm. and the old monsters and all that kind of stuff. And this is, like you're saying, it's like, oh, you haven't seen that uh, suit, that monster, for like 40-something years, right? And here it is again. And yeah. you're like, wow, what a what a great way to start it off.
1: All right, so after he beats Ben um, now you're saying Mobius and I'm saying Mebius. That, that is a classic sort of, how do you oh, translate oh, it? Oh. You know, how do, you,
2: how do you say it? Yeah,
1: because really his name should be Mobius. All of his motif and everything is with a Mobius strip. But, you know, Subariah, they say his official name is Mebius. You know, it's one of those those just ridiculously ridiculous things we put up as put up with as Western Doku. Yeah,
2: that's fine. I I guess I I just sound like the uneducated uh, non non Subarayas. No, but you um, know, that's
1: that's the thing. It's like I I still see the argument now. The the current Super Sentai Tokuga, you got one camp that, you know, they capitalized the Q and the G in the middle and then one camp that doesn't. And they, they argue endlessly, and it's like okay, it's like both of them are right, guys. You're, it's still a romanization of a Japanese word that's yeah, not meant to yeah. be written in English characters. It's okay. Well, well sometimes,
2: sometimes I, I think you get so used to, to reading subtitles or or fan subs or whatever. Like you know, I was I was laughing because the the fan sub I was watching, I, I think instead of calling it uh, uh, you know uh, Ray Blood. You know, they call him like Ray Brad or something well, we'll like get, that. Well, let's
1: get into that too, so uh, because that—that's another one that may be on un- that may be correct.
2: Okay, but, I don't know. It sounds—it yeah. sounds funny to me. I'm like, oh no, I got, I got evil, right. I got evil Brad running through <laughs> my veins, you
1: know. All right, so uh, so after he beats him, maybe flies back. I said to the land of the light where he. Uh, meets up with Ultraman, Zafi, and Ultra 7, and they start talking about that there has been a, a drastic increase in minus energy throughout the universe, and that that has caused all of these monsters to go wild. And we get a nice look at the Land of the Light with all of the uh, all, all of our Ultra Heroes there, and they're training the new generation of Ultra Heroes, and you get to see uh, the, you know, the the home of all the Ultraman that we uh, has been talked about for years and years. And uh, while this is going on, back on the Space Prison, which I love the name, it just says Space Prison, Uh, uh, it appears that Ultraman tricks two Ultra Guards and uses the Giga Battleizer to break in, but it's actually Alien Zayrab in disguise as uh, imitation or fake Ultraman, again, throwing back to the original Ultraman from 1966. And he breaks an incredibly evil, dangerous looking dude out named Belial. And Belial looks like uh, like a red and black Ultraman who uh, hooked up with a demon of some kind.
2: Yeah, he's very he's very. I, I think of him as kind of very '90s comics looking. You know, I, mm-hmm. he, he seems to be one of those archetypes, like a Venom or a Doomsday, you know, or even like old school like Solomon Grundy. You know, like just this big, wrestling powerhouse where you know he's going to do like pile drivers on people and just really mess them up.
1: Yeah, and I, I like that he, he has a, kind of a gaping mouth, a little bit like Ultron. Yeah, yeah,
2: it's kind of spooky and scary. Yeah, know, and, it's and it changes
1: of... the silhouette of his head a little bit, you know, because yeah. otherwise he'd look a lot. He'd look kind of like um, uh, the original Ultraman with the crest on his head, but and the the eyes and all that. But it he, he it sells him really well as he's an Ultra, but he's also he's gone to the dark side. It's just very yeah. simple shorthand with the with the dark colors and the red. You know, but he really does, you know, it looks like he's a a tough customer, especially considering how he completely houses Zayrab and kills him immediately. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. He's like,
2: dude, I I busted you out.
1: And he's like, thanks. (laughs) Well, he made the he made the lackey mistake of saying we will rule the universe.
2: I sometimes you gotta wonder though. You're like, what did Zayrab really think was gonna happen? Like, did he think like, oh dude, thanks man. He pats him on the back. Let's <laughs> rule the universe together. Like, did he really? Did he honestly think that's what was gonna happen? Like, I, sometimes I wonder. I'm like, I'm like, <laughs> are you sure? I'm sure you thought this out totally. Like, I'm gonna bust out the most evil, awful. Malicious guy in the universe, and we're going to be friends.
1: Yeah, <laughs> it's like,
2: oh, okay. How do you how do you make the leap to that last part? Like, always kind of cracks me up.
1: They kind of failed at henchman school, I think. A bit. <laughs> yeah, uh,
2: uh, for we, you were talking about earlier how how they go into the uh, original Ultramen show up, and and I just want to say that it, to me it seems like there's lots of. Star Wars prequel influences in this or it feels like there is you know like they all have capes kind of like their jedis and or at least you know kind of the cape almost illustrates like their their hierarchy like yeah. their master level status and everything like that and and also just like the score to me sounds like prequel era John Williams, the way it kinda of flows and everything like that. And yeah, so I, I mean, was always I was always kinda of noticing that stuff where I was like, hey, this is this is kinda of cool. You know, well, you
1: know this was two thousand nine, so we are in the wake of the prequels and, and like the prequels, a lot of this movie was shot on green screen.
2: Oh yeah, yeah. The Land like, of the
1: Light is obviously not real I mean there's some physical sets there, majority of it is green screened in, you know. And the composer was an American, uh, Mike Verda. So that, I can, you know, okay. that's a legitimate, uh, point. I, I think that's a good point because I caught up little bits of that, but I think you, you illustrate it nicely that it does have that kind of, uh, you know, I think a lot of the films made in the wake of the prequels kind of have that same kind of vibe. These ones that are say, Hey, wait a minute, you no, know, we can do a lot of this on green screen. We don't need to build sets. We don't need to do this. We don't need to do that. Whereas here it's kind of done in ways that I think that Lucas, did sometimes, uh, how am I trying to say this, sometimes Lucas used it right where, hey, I'm going to use this technology to create something that can exist, whereas uh, at certain points in the prequels it's like, I'm too lazy to go on location. Ah, uh, yeah, you yeah know? I whereas, what you're saying,
2: but you can't go to the land of light. You, like you can't go to the you, land, you land have of light, to literally, yeah.
1: yeah, yeah, so you've got to create these environments whole cloth. And they're really, a fun, and the entire film is basically one giant special effect when you get down to it. Considering that every scene has either, you know, uh, some dude in a in a rubber suit, or, you know, uh, miniatures and flying effects in it. Yeah. So pretty much the entire film is a special effect shot.
2: I also just, I'm not gonna do the punchline right away, but I just want to plant this idea in the listener's head while they're listening. Keep in mind that the J.J. Abrams Star Trek was released May 8th, 2009. And this film was released December 12th, 2009. Mm. So just, you know, you'll, we'll come back to it. I'm not going to say anything about it right this minute, <laughs> but just keep that in your head, and then when it comes up again, you're going to go, ah.
1: Right, so after turning on his uh, would-be assistant, Belial makes a beeline for The Land of the Light, where he immediately confronts Ultraman, Zafi, Ultra 7, and, uh, and Taro, and uh, it, it turns into a huge brawl that eventually includes pretty much all of the Ultras that are actually on planet. Yeah,
2: oh, man, see, this is the part where I go all fanboy, yeah. where, where I turn into, like, this drooling fanboy where I'm like, oh my
1: god,
2: like, cause there's there's nothing like that, like, I mean, they're, they're really, I mean, there's stuff like it maybe in Japan with different franchises and series, but, I mean, we've only gotten to the point with, like, comic book films in in America where, like, oh, they just teamed up the Avengers, and that was the gonzo moment where you saw all, like, five of them together for the first time, but this is on, like, a whole other, like, Crisis on Infinite Earths, like, Justice League Unlimited and live action kind of level where you're like, holy crap, it's like the whole Green Lantern Corps, it's like all these Ultramen from, like, all kinds of different... Series. I mean, like, for me, like, the thing that I got super excited about was they, they're doing that Kill Bill style battle where each guy is, like, going up to him one by one mm-hmm. and getting, like, totally decimated and yeah. beat up and everything. And, you know, you've got, like, the guys from the anime, yeah. like, Ultraman USA and, mm-hmm. like, poor. Poor Ultra Woman Beth, in, in true Japanese fashion, gets a face full of Spacium Beam when yeah. he like pushes her in front of the ray, and like you got Ultraman Scott and Ultraman Chuck, and you know Taro is fighting him in what looks like like a Death Star trench, yeah. and, you know, and then and then you know you know I, I don't know if I can curse or not on the show, Go but ahead. you know that that you know that shit gets real <laughs> when Zoffy. Ultraman Hayata and Seven—they all take off their capes. Oh right? yeah! And then all of a sudden, you know, this is this is serious <laughs> business because I'm taking off my cape and we're we're going to really fight now.
1: The one that that I really liked is that um, uh, Ultraman Great, which was the Ultraman from the Ultraman Great or Ultraman Powered. Uh, so it's ultra, I want to say it's Ultraman Great, who is the Ultraman from Ultraman Towards the Future. Which was the uh, the first Ultraman series I ever saw. That was the one produced in New Zealand in the okay. late eighties, early nineties.
2: That's you, the one that is actually in English, right?
1: Yes, that was the one. Well, there okay. are two that were shot in English. That was the one that the that it was uh, toward the future, and then the one that was actually made here in the U.S., which was never shown in the U.S., which is called the Ultimate Hero. But and that which has Ultraman powered, Ultraman Great. And again, if I am if I got this backwards, I'll, I'll let you know in, in post. <laughs> uh, he actually wore, he didn't wear a rubber suit, he wore a spandex suit. So he's the one that looks really weird, because he's got, his, his body looks different than everybody else's. Okay. And so he, that's why Dan, does, so he stands out, so you can see him, and Ultraman Powered in there, so it's a two American, quote-unquote... Uh, Ultraman are also in there as well, and I remember, well,
2: yeah, even even the the, the anime Ultraman, yeah. like the USA, like he's got the little belt buckle mm-hmm. with
1: the, the USA thing too. Yeah, so. and uh, I, Jonius is in there from from uh, yeah. the Ultraman, and so it's got all the secondary, you know, um, all the secondary heroes like Hikari is in there, and it says, oh, it's just it's just fantastic, and it's and the fight just keeps going on because as he t- as Belial moves through different areas because he's going to what's called the plasma spark tower where the light that powers the planet and gives the ultra heroes their power. You know, he goes in up there and now he's fighting uh you know Father of Ultra and Mother of Ultra. And Father yeah, of Ultra I, I mean with those big horns like oh that dude is badass right there.
2: Yeah, yeah, it's 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 a great scene and then also I think for for me, I mean, I, I guess because I'm a fan, but I think if you see it, it, it brings a lot of emotional resonance because you've got father, mother, and Taro, mm-hmm. and that's basically like father, mother, and son. And yes. I'm I'm an only child, so like for me, like seeing the way that scene plays out and how they're all very, uh, you know, uh, there's a lot of self sacrifice and 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 standing up for your family and, and defending one another and stuff like that. So that, that always kind of, you know, that, that kind of gets me in my, my feels, as the, the yeah. kids say these
1: days. <laughs> oh, yeah. And uh, actually, the that some of the stuff that gets planted here, I think, pays off down the line in Ultraman Ginga. Because Taro basically becomes the uh, the mentor to Hikari, to the hero of Ultraman Ginga.
2: Yeah, I, I kind of think of him like when I watch that series. I'm like, dude, he's like ginga's alfred you Mm -hmm. know like you know he's totally like filling him in and hooking him up and doing his socks oh yeah laundry for him
1: but there's a there's a scene in ginga where we get where taro tells hikaria a story from when he was a young a young boy essentially and it's where and uh it's it's actually like you said a very emotional scene where we see little taro taro is like a little kid you know and that that's a that's a web exclusive. We need young Taro, you know. Uh, well, there's web-
2: actually there's there's that one. Uh, I, I can't remember what the the movie is called. I don't know if it's considered you know canon or not canon. But there's like a sort of Ultraman Taro like movie ish thing where it, it does start out with like little kid yeah. taro mm-hmm. for like the majority of the movie and I know they just they just subbed that and I thought that was a yeah that was a fun movie to watch too. Yeah, well, like there's taro. This,
1: yeah there's, so the, the, the relationship of and it's weird because Taro has always been real popular. Not not to the level I don't think of like Ultraman and Ultra Seven. But Taro's always been really like a fan favorite so I think that this opportunity to – I think that the people that kind of grew up where Taro was their Ultraman, quote-unquote, you know, like like Hoovians will say, oh, my doctor, quote-unquote. yeah I think the people that where uh, Taro was their Ultraman are the ones that are, you know, now old enough to be the ones producing this kind of stuff, and so Taro gets a lot of good attention.
2: Well, yeah, I, I think everybody gets, like, a moment. I mean, Ooh, sometimes yeah. the moment is getting a face full of the,
1: uh, <laughs> whatever
2: that big staff is. What's it called again? The, the, the
1: Giga Battleizer.
2: Yeah, the, the Giggle Battleizer. Like, they get a big face full of it most of the time. I'm like, dude, I like Max. And Max is like, hey, I'm going to stop you. <laughs> face full of Giga Battleizer. You know, but but I think, you know, definitely like what you're saying, like, Taro definitely gets, the, they, they all kind of get their moment. Because yeah. it's even like, what, after this, it's like he, he fights with. Like seven and Ultraman and Zoffy and they all you know get their moment and then yeah. he fights with like Ace, Ace and, and 80. Eighty and Jack and yeah. they all get their moment. You they know? Can do the triple beam, which I thought was yeah. really awesome. But and then he totally he totally just pushes it back in their face too. Oh, yeah. Like they're like we're gonna do our ultimate move and then do it three way and <laughs> then he still he still like just owns them. Like yeah. that, that that's kind of what like that's all I could think of is like Solomon Grundy like beating the crap out of, like, the JSA and, like, the mm-hmm. early issues or whatever, or, yeah. like, Doomsday, like, beating the crap out of poor Booster Gold and Blue Beetle and all that kind of stuff, because it's like, that's that's what's going on here. Oh, like, yeah. they're just getting mopped to the floor with all these guys, oh, like, yeah. left and right, you know? Yeah,
1: and then and then Belial, having laid pretty much everybody out, steals the, uh, the Plasma Spark from the Plasma Spark Tower, and the land of the light begins to freeze solid, Wind, uh, and all the power drains out of the planet except that our boy Tiga contains the very last spark of light for the entire ultra race in its inside of himself
2: oh you you said tiga but i know i know you, no, meant, me, I know you meant
1: taro our boy taro <laughs> takes the the last bit of it into his i don't know why i said tiga but yes taro takes it all into his into inside of himself to say, basically save the last spark of their of their entire planet it's like, holy crap again, talk about Taro getting some good moments. And then and the, even
2: even like mother and father are sitting there and it's like there there
1: is still hope, you know, like yeah, we then we get, a chance. and we get uh, Seven and uh, Ultraman doing their barriers, their ultra barriers to stop the wave when the, the you know, when the planet starts freezing over.
2: See, you, you say ultra-barrier, but I say these are the actors we could afford to hire to <laughs> play their civilian modes.
1: Yeah, like, but those are also the two most, well, you know, the two most... Uh, oh, yeah, yeah, optimal, totally. So. If, 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 if we're going with
2: the, the Green Lantern analogy, if I continue to see it through, this is this is Alan Scott and, and Hal Jordan right yeah. here that are, that are putting up the shield barriers, and we're going to see more of them later yeah. in the movie.
1: Yeah. So, yeah, so look, things are pretty pretty uh, rough on the Land of the Light right now. So, of course, the only logical thing is to cut to a planet that has nothing to do with that. On the planet Dent, where we meet up with the crew from the Zap Spacey ship, the Space Pendragon, where they land on Dent and are uh, immediately uh, attacked by the arrival of the monster zaragus And so Ray, who is uh, a member of the... Uh, the Space Pen Dragon crew, who is a either Ray Blood or Ray Brad, <laughs> sends uses his Battle-Nizer to summon the monster Gamora, uh, whom he uh, was one of the monsters he was able to summon and control back during the Mega Monster Battle series. And Gamora goes to town with zaragus and he ends up uh, defeating the monster using his uh, what do they call that? Uh, uh, got it somewhere in here. Super oscillating wave attack. After uh, awesome. impaling him with his horn and blowing him up. So this this is a this gets to what you were referring to earlier with the Ray Blood versus Ray Brad. Now in Mega Monster Battle, there is a lot of references to uh, classic Western science fiction and horror literature and movies. Like so, the I've. That Ray Brad may be intentional as an homage to Ray oh. Brad.
2: Huh. I, I would have never gotten that in a, a billion years. Uh, I, I didn't See, either. This is, this, I is didn't... Why, this is why you're the Daikaiju podcast master, because I, I would have never thought that.
1: See, I didn't know that either, because the first time I saw it, I was like, oh, I, I assume this is supposed to be uh, Ray Blood. And then it was uh, a guy on the board, uh, tokunation.com, which is a, a board I've mentioned before. Under Destruction Directive that I recommend. It's like no, no, no. It's supposed to be Ray Brad because it's like oh, it's Planet Boris and all these other classic Western uh, horror references. I'm like, huh? Well, isn't that weird? <laughs> but here, I, I uh, this this is a very it's, this is an interesting little sequence to me because it's very much in line with what we would have, what we got on Mega Monster Battle. So fans of that series kind of get a taste of their show on the big screen here.
2: Yeah, yeah. It's kind of like their their. Moment to sort of shine without any Ultraman stuff going on, pretty much, right? Yeah,
1: yeah and the and I, it, the Battle Nizer using it to the, to do the Monsload because you know things are always better and picked in English, I guess, um, to summon Gamora. It, it kind of it always made me think kind of like a, like Pokemon, you know? Yeah, totally. But totally. Uh, that's, but considering that. You know, as popular as Pokemon here is in is here in the U.S., it's like a bajillion times more popular in Japan. I can totally dig that. I understand where they're yeah. going.
2: <laughs> well, it's yeah, it's all the Pokemon Digimon like whatever that kind of summons somebody from his little. Box card thing. Yep. It, what, what I was wondering too is like, because uh, Gamora like seems to me, at least from from what I've seen, like in the original Ultraman, like I remember it was like the the Monster Prince or whatever, <laughs> it, like uh, episode. Like yep. it, it always seemed to me like the the Subaraya Ultraman version of Gamora in a way, because like he was kind of like sort of like friends with the kids and he's friends with the humans, like, at least in my, I don't know if he ever was, like, a serious monster that,
1: yeah. you know, well, had to
2: be stomped, per se, but, but it, it seems like he's he's kind of, like, at least, you know, fighting for the kids or fighting for, you know, Ray or, or you know, the, the yeah. crew of the, the Zap or whatever. That's the,
1: that's the role he's taken in the modern um, series, mostly from Mega Monster Battle. Gamora was really popular, he, he as you said, he, his episode is called The Monster Prince, it's actually the only two part episode of the original Ultraman, and he is, he, he kind of goes on a real tear in those episodes, Yeah. to the point where, I, he, where does, he destroys a, a, t- a palace in the second part, and it's like feature level, you know, quality special effects on the miniatures and stuff, and he's, and he's tough as nails, to the point where Ultraman at one point rips his tail off and he's still going and fighting. So I think, it, I think a lot of it is that he was a really popular guy who wasn't as exposed as, say, maybe like Red King, where yeah. Red King or, or, or Zeton or something like that. I mean, Zetton, you there's no way you can make Zeton into a hero, you cool. know? Whereas Gamora, well, that, you can that, probably kinda,
2: that's kind of funny that you say that, because I've been reading the Ultraman manga that they've been doing lately. Mm-hmm. And I'm not going to say he's a hero, but he's kind of like a creepy, like, government ops... It's "Quote unquote good guy, but kind of bad." Yeah.
1: Wow, that's odd. Then again, yeah, I, he, I've read I've read the first couple of volumes. You do some odd stuff with Bemular in that book too, so that's not real super surprising. <laughs>
2: yeah, yeah, yeah. It's 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 a it's a strange like it, it's it's. Interesting. Like I, I can't stop reading it because I'm like I'm like this is weird. Like I gotta keep reading it. So, but yeah, it's like it's like Zeton's in like a suit. It's like it's almost like he's like the Mister. I keep making comic references, so <laughs> everybody who doesn't know stuff about comics is gonna yell at me and go, I don't know what that means. But I'm like gonna say it anyway. He's like the Mister Bones of like. That comic book, you know, it's like it's weird. He's in like a three-piece suit or something, but then there's that weird Zeton head with the one <laughs> eye, like staring at you. And it's like you're you're not a good guy. I know you're not a good guy, but he's like sitting there going like I run, you know, this organization, and I'm totally like freaked out because he creeps me out, like his face and everything.
1: So now I'm picturing not alien Zeton, but the big monster Zeton wearing a suit, fighting with Ultraman. That would be you know, <laughs> be much funnier. <laughs> so after Gamora takes out zaronga's um, Mabius shows up on the planet and transforms back into his human form of Mirai, and he asks them for help because he knows that uh, that uh, Belial is a half breed of a Rayonix, which is one who has the Ray blood or Ray Brad in them, and uh, and an Ultra, and so they think that that if they can get the help of Ray himself, also being a Ray Brad, that they can use that power to uh, to defeat. All. and so in order to recruit Rey, uh, Mirai tells him the history of the Land of the Light and how the Ultra Warriors came into existence, and this is freaking awesome. Yeah, it is cool. I mean, it's like getting all the backstory, because we've always just, oh yeah, they come from the Land of the Light, they fight monsters. That's it. That's all we've ever really gotten. Now we're really getting a backstory here, and it's and unlike, say, the uh, you know, Common Rider, the Super Sentai, where... You know, that each hero or each team of heroes kind of had their own backstory and they might cross over, the, the Ultras have always been tied together. And so having this unified backstory, I think is just really, really cool from a fan perspective.
2: Yeah, and it's the first time you, you really sort of... I mean, there, there have been... Times where they've gone to the land of life, but this is kind of like you're you're getting down to the nitty gritty of, of how it all started, and and that they were human first, or at least they approximated human life, you know, when when they were first on the planet, and then they go into the whole backstory about how that plasma was created because their sun exploded, and then that that was created to serve as like an alternate means of. Of power and, and life on the planet, and that's why it's all green and shiny, and, and basically this kind of pillar of, uh, you know, jewel of goodness in the universe. Yeah. So it's it's
1: it's really cool. It also kind of goes away to explain uh, one of the you know, the character that we'll meet later in Ultraman Zero. If you know they, uh, let's just say again, has having to do with them being approximating humans. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so okay, so after hearing the history of the Ultras. Uh, Mirai and Ray travel to the Land of the Light, which is now a frozen, desolate wasteland. In fact, at one point, they're walking on top of an ice shelf, and they look down and can see the Ultra Warriors frozen in the ice beneath them. But uh, their quest to go to the Spark Tower is interrupted by the appearances of the monsters Duraco, Bemstar, and Salamandora, all led by Alien Shepley who Belial has uh, resurrected from the monster graveyard and sent to the Land of the Light to make sure that the uh, Plasma Spark is never reignited. So this this was cool, again, just to see some more monsters come back. And Duraco and Bemstar and Salmondora, three old-school monsters right here.
2: Yeah, this was a cool scene, and, and again, I'm gonna make these weird analogies as well because Shepley is like the, the Django Fett sequence mm-hmm. or something. You know, that's he's,
1: exactly right. You know, exactly they're, right.
2: they're 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 running around and, and shooting at each other all crazy style and doing kung fu and all kinds of cool stuff yeah. in the scene and everything. And of course, this is this is where I will just wanted to remind everybody that I had brought up the Abram Star Trek. And the reason why I brought it up is because now they are on an ice planet, Mm kind of like when Captain Kirk was on an ice planet, and he didn't know where to go, and weird aliens and monsters were attacking him. And all of a sudden, somebody saves him. Mm -hmm. And just like in that movie, very similar, these cloaked, almost wearing Jedi-robed figures do come out of the woodwork to save Mirai and save Rey mm-hmm. and it turns out like that it is Hayata mm-hmm. and Dan uh, uh, Dan and in, in their like you know sort of human forms and everything, and of course all I could think of is like the Honest trailer where it's like old Spork, you know, and he's <laughs> taking off his hood and everything because I'm like, dude, it's it's Dan Morabushi, yeah. you know, and so so it's like this super cool scene, you know, where you get to see the the old school guys, you know, in their civilian or or I guess you know human forms, right? And everything.
1: And, and I love that it, it does kind of play straight with you because you know Hayata was member of the uh, the the science patrol. And Dan, of course, was a member of the Ultra Guard, and they're out there kicking ass with firearms, and, yeah. you know, and, and, and rifles and stuff. It's like, of course, they're trained in this sort of combat. And so that I thought that I love it. That's just great. And then the as as if it's not old school enough, having you know the uh, original Hayata and the original Dan back. Uh, Seven throws out his three capsule monsters, Wyndham, Agira, and Miklos, to fight our three evil monsters. And it's like the Ultra Seven uh, nostalgia just keeps getting more and more as we go along here. Yeah,
2: yeah. There's there's all kinds of great nods, and like it, I think it probably applies on like multiple levels because if you if you've seen the original Ultra Seven, if you're like these you know, adults that are maybe or even who knows, grandparents that are going to see this movie with their grandkids, then you'll be familiar with it on that level of having seen, you know, Oh yeah, I remember that show Ultra Seven and Mick Gless was one of the capsule monsters. But if you're a kid who maybe just sat through Ultraman Mobius and they've just revisited all this kind of you know, like I was referring to it as, you know, quote-unquote Silver Age goodness, you know, then, then you'll know, like, oh, Miklas was, like, in every other episode yeah. of, of <laughs> Ultraman Mobius. It was like every time they got into trouble, it was like, oh, shoot, let's send Miklas in there to take a few punches to the head so yeah. so Mobius can get his second wind or whatever. <laughs> so, you know, I mean, you, you got it on, on multiple levels oh, and yeah. multiple sort of... Um, uh, generations, I
1: guess. Yeah, Wyndham gets a nice... Well, all three of them get a nice moment in but I really like Wyndham, where he his upper half separates and he spins around like a top.
2: Yeah.
1: <laughs> Just in case you forgot he was a robot. I also always like seeing uh, Duraco, because Duraco, to me, in a lot of ways, uh, I always considered him kind of like the proto version of Gigan. You know, if you think about it, he's a, he's a space monster with hooks for hands and yeah, kind of a beak, yeah. and he flies... And he's kind of a close-range brawler. It's like, yeah, okay. He's kind of like Geigen about you know, four or five, well, about five years before Geigen showed up. So I can, I can, I can
2: can totally see that. Yeah.
1: So the uh, the newly arrived heroes defeat the uh, the the monsters and continue on towards the Plasma Spark Tower. And while they do, Dan tells the story of that there was another. Uh, ultra Hero, who was tempted by the power of the Plasma Spark Tower, much like Belial was. That was a crime which got Belial exiled and put in the Space Prison in the first place. But this one, Seven caught him right before he took the power, and then he was himself also exiled and no longer allowed to be an Ultra Hero. Uh, but before the story can continue, they reach the base of the uh, Ultra Spark Tower, and the uh, Shayplay summons the monster Black King, which... Uh, prompts Ray to then summon Gamora while the Ultras go inside to try and rest, uh, restore or reclaim some of the power that Taro is holding inside the Spark Tower. So we get another monster-on-monster monster fight and another super-oscillating wave attack from uh, Gamora.
2: <laughs> we should we should probably mention, in case anybody's sort of following along, that the reason why Belial was captured the first time in the backstory, since we basically... Kind of pimped him out so much as being the ultimate badass that you're like well how could this guy ever have gotten into prison in the first place when they when they do the backstory and you see ultra father and ultra mother who were referred to as ken and mary, and mary yep. which which i found interesting but so they they're kind of much younger at this point and i guess belial when he first is tempted by the power and 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 basically gets transformed into the the ray blood or ray brad bryonics thing or whatever it's like he makes his first assault on the land of light but ultra king yep. basically isn't having any of that <laughs> and and he basically you know says all right i'm handcuffing you and sticking you in a big giant prison box and you're getting the hell off my planet mm-hmm. and uh, the the other thing that i thought was kind of interesting is and i didn't know this i just read it on wikipedia so i don't know how true it is but apparently he was voiced by the Prime Minister of Japan.
1: Ultraman, uh, yeah, Ultraman King? Yes, I believe. Yeah. True, so, yeah. so,
2: so, I was like, "Oh, that's kind of interesting. Like, that's kind of cool. Like, you know."
1: Yeah. The so. only problem I have with Ultraman King is if you if you look at him, he looks kind of like Captain Crunch. <laughs> and. You know, it loses some of the gravitas when Captain Crunch is out there throwing you down, but I, I like <laughs> Ultraman King, I'm just saying. <laughs> <laughs> what, what,
2: what does it make all the Ultraman? Like the Pillsbury boy or something? I or guess, no, no, no.
1: maybe the Soggies, I don't know, yeah, maybe that's yeah, the yeah. monsters. But, <laughs> uh, so, yeah, so again, another, I, I, another good flashback sequence, and all this will come back, because, you know, nothing happens by accident in a movie. Um, as Seven, specifically Seven, tells us the story of this other Ultra that was tempted, and that he stopped at the last second, you know, as if to, to, to heighten the drama even more with that. And they keep saying, oh, maybe he can help us. And no, he's not ready yet. He must complete his training. You know, complete the training, you must. Yes, yes, <laughs> everybody,
2: everybody's everybody got to be trained. Like, whether it's the beginning of the movie where it's like younglings and Yoda, yeah. you know, comparisons. Or, <laughs> you know, right now it's like, you know, this, this other guy is off on planet M. Whatever number it is, yeah. but it, you know, you know, it's like he's off on Degaba yeah. with Ultra King and, and all these other guys getting trained, mm-hmm. and and that also explains why Ultra King did not lay the smackdown on Belial this this yeah, first instance because he was busy doing some some important Ultraman, I mean Jedi Ultraman, <laughs> whatever training, you know, with this this new young awesome fighter.
1: Yeah. So, so the uh, our our Ultra heroes go into the Plaza Spark Tower and talk to Taro and get some of the energy back so that they, uh, Mavius, Ultraman, and Ultra 7, are able to transform once again into their Ultra Hero forms. And then them, the three of them, along with Rey, travel to the monster graveyard where they will confront Belial. But before we get there, we cut to planet K-78. Not to be confused with M-78 Nebula, which is where the Land of the Light is. As we see Ultraman Leo training with another Ultra who is wearing... Really restrictive armor all over his body that that tight ty- that uh, basically puts the screws to him and won't let him use his full power. As Leo kind of beats the hell out of this guy for a little while, and we get to see little Pigmon there hopping around. As Ultra, as you said, Ultraman King or Ultra King keeps uh, keeps watch over Leo and his charge, and uh, they they continue to train. And the young uh, the younger Ultra is very hot blooded and hot tempered and easily frustrated. And he is not happy that he has to wear this armor in order to train with the uh, the master martial artist Ultraman leo
2: Yeah, I've, I've got a bunch of more crazy analogies coming your <laughs> way. Um, there, with with this new young fighter who's, who's kind of. In all this weird constrictive armor, you know, it, it, it's reminding me a little bit of the the early Larry Hama, Larry Hama, GI Joe stuff, where Snake Eyes is in like the this isolation chamber, or mm-hmm. you know, people are trying to fight blindfolded, like that kind of idea that you know you're you're basically you know, or or you could even now that I just thought of it, you know, it's like Luke with the the blast shield. I can't mm-hmm. even see, you know, like <laughs> this kind of thing where they're they're doing all this kind of you know training where people are, are held back and his attitude though is is very much like Vegeta from Dragon Ball Z almost it's yeah. just kind of almost you, you can feel this sense of arrogance and almost entitlement you know it's like <laughs> shut up old man let's let's get on with the fighting
1: you know, but kind of but thing. there's a little bit to him though because when Pigmont's hopping around he says go go someplace safe you can't stay here right now
2: yeah you you know that there's there's some you know at, at his core you know he, he's got that heart of gold
1: you know I know there's yeah. good in you but <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> Well, I, just, you know, I just like seeing Leo because um, I, Ultraman Leo again. He he's a little different than a lot of the other show ultras in that he's not so much of a of a grappler as he is. A, I guess that a martial artist, you know. In his so he used nunchucks quite a lot, you know.
2: Oh yeah yeah yeah. He's he's the guy like that's my ultra act where he's got the the, the candy cane stuff, right? Is that
1: he's got right, well, too? the 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 uh, well the, the I've got the original. Ultra Active Leo And he's actually got A pair of nunchucks With an actual chain So that they'll They'll flail dynamically So I've got him Where he's got it Over to his back shoulder The second one Has it in like Mid Whacking pose So it's oh, like okay. A candy cane So you can like I said So you can be Whacking the guy In the side of the head With it
2: Yeah that's That's what it looked like To me I'm all He's got like Candy cane weapons You know
1: yeah, but, but but Leo is, and Astra is there too, uh, That which is Leo's brother, I forgot to mention it. Because oh, if Leo is there, Astra's not far behind, usually. And I always like with Astras so like I said, Leo was big on using martial arts and, uh, you know, traditional, what we consider martial arts weapons, whereas Astra always carried a big-ass gun. Nice. A gun that looked like a key, so it's like, eat that, Kingdom Hearts. But <laughs> <laughs> and, and
2: Squall and everybody else, yeah. right?
1: So uh, after we get a little peek in on our mysterious charge with his training, we cut back to the Monster Graveyard, where the uh, where Ultraman Seven, Mayus, and Rai Ray all confront Belial at the Monster Graveyard. Belial resurrects 100 monsters using his uh, Giga Battle Nizer to battle the crew. So Ray summons. Uh, Gamora, once again, to go fight, and, uh, they're just completely overwhelmed and swamped by the number of monsters. They use their powers and take out a bunch of them, but, uh, they're, they're really just, uh, it's a losing action that they're fighting. And meanwhile, Belial uh, appeals to Rey and says, hey, we're both Ray Brad, we're both Rayonix, we're brothers, you should side with me. And what this starts doing is it starts, um, pushing, uh, Pushing Ray more and more, and he turns into his Ray Brad form, which is a little bit out of control, and things start going into uh, he uh, you know start going bad for the heroes with Belial because he's more in control of the of, what's, of the situation, and so Ray eventually turns and starts attacking the, the the ultra heroes as well, and things go from bad to worse.
2: <laughs> yeah, G- Gamora turns into like this big fire beast, like because it's like he's infected with the the, burst the Ray mode, yeah. Ray Brad blood or whatever. Yeah, it's and, it's uh,
1: rayonic yeah. burst mode, I think is what they call it.
2: Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's like, you know, basically back to the, the crazy analogies, you know, you got your your Anakin Sidious, or your Luke Vader, or even even your Ryu and E. Honda, you know, mm-hmm. basically like, we're brothers, you know, <laughs> like, it, it's like that that kind of stuff, where he's like appealing to him on, on that level, but the, the, the weird part is, like, they, they basically brought him, he's supposed to be like their ace in the hole, you yeah. know, it's like he's supposed to help them, but, but Belial, like, basically turns it on its head, and now he's using their... In the whole against them so it's like oh no like you're like these guys are screwed like what are they gonna do you know
1: yeah and the, and the line that's repeated is uh, all, all it was was power without justice and that's what echoes in Ray's mind because that was when he turns into his rayonics and he loses control that's what a rayonics is is power without justice which is why you know that that was a thing during a mega monster battle it's like it keeps being teased that oh ray's gonna turn into an ultraman ray's gonna turn into an ultraman it's like no he's not he's, he's not an ultra hero he has great power but that this form is susceptible to you know just without any any tempering measure to the power kind of thing which is a big theme in not just in ultra in the ultra series but i find in a lot of uh, tokusatsu superhero shows you know the idea of uh, with you know with great power comes great responsibility and all that which is totally original and not borrowed from anywhere else so.
2: Well, you know, you, you could point to things like even, you know, I was talking about Ryu. It's like he's got the Dark Hado to contend mm-hmm. with, and this is very a very similar conceptual idea. You know, he can use it for good. You know, he, he's obviously out there, you know, spacefaring and, and helping the people of Earth and everything, which it, it, what what I found great about this movie in general is, I guess, if you're a fan of things like, you know, Transformers or, or any kind of sort of extraterrestrial Sort of adventure. You you often find oh well we have to sit through these movies where there's a bunch of human beings and you're like or read these comics where there's a bunch of human beings and you're like I don't want to read about human beings. I want to watch Transformers mm-hmm. or I want to watch whatever whatever it is that you're into. And in this case, I mean they, I'm not going to say there's no human interaction, but I mean there's very very little. And when it does happen, it's for a reason. You yeah. know it's like it's like they they introduce the character Ray. He's their ace and the hole you know that's why they pick him up from the crew and when the crew returns they're there to bring ray back from the brink of the dark side you know it's like they're they're there to appeal to him on this emotional level and and say snap out of it Mm -hmm. man like what are you doing you know and and it's 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 a lot more meaningful than just having a bunch of guys you know i don't know running around I don't know. Whatever they do in Michael Bay movies, I've never seen yeah. any of them. But I assume you know it's all stupid.
1: It's a lot of yelling. So, you
2: know, yeah, but, they, but I, I just appreciate the way that 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 was handled <clears throat> in in this story. You know. Yeah,
1: and and the fight itself on the ult, on the Ultra Graveyard, Sam, because it it's he resurrects 100 monsters using the 100 mons load, and so it turns into a game of spot the monster.
2: Yeah, I'm 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 way. Uh, beyond anything in that. Like, there's there's a couple guys where I'm like, oh, look, it's... Uh, I'm like, it's Red King! Yep. I see Red King! You know, but then it's like, you know, there's there's so many monsters where I'm oh, like, yeah. wow. Like, I, I have no idea who those guys are.
1: There are. A couple of things that stood out to me. At one point, um, Alien Valky, who um, people remember as kind of the golden black-skinned guy with the bright big red eyes, who was the main villain for the first half of Ultraman Ginga. At one point, I, I'm not sure if it's Seven... Uh, which ultra hero it is, but they open up with the beam, and you see Valky just jumping out of the way like a coward because that's what he is. He's like pretty much a craven right. coward. So you yeah. see him running for his life, which I think is great. Uh, and, then, and
2: then it seemed like there were those guys from like the what is it that that kind of web series or I don't know what it was that like short series called Ash, like, not Astra. Who am I thinking of?
1: Who, who's the green
2: guy? Like the, and, and, the um, Andromelas. Yes! Like, I I, I remember, like, those little, like, sort of... I don't know how to describe them, but they're, like... They're kind of like girls and guys, and they kind of wear the black tights, and they Mm -hmm. have the funny hair, the big eyes. Like, I remember them in the background with all the monsters,
1: too. Yeah, and and, uh, at one point, Ray... When he's in his ray blood form attack he fights all the aliens so he fights uh the Kamer. he fights the alien kamer and alien valky and alien magma he fights all the human-sized aliens i thought that was yeah. great at one point too because <laughs> it's like, yeah, a cause lift, they, they, like they
2: sort of acknowledge like the scale differences it's like yeah. you know or, or even when when the uh the, I, I guess we, we'll get to it but the, when the the Zeton shows up on the the Zap ship, you yeah. know. It's like it's like that. He's in scale with those mm-hmm. guys, yep. basically,
1: yep. you know. So yeah. And uh, and again, you saw we see Big Zeton, which I thought was neat. We saw Red King, Tyrant, all the clap. Um, shout out again to Sean Angle. Antlar shows up in there <laughs> and uh, grabs. Uh, who's he grabbing, I think he grabs uh, Mabus from Bar Seven from behind with his ant with his uh, pincers. I thought that was neat. Just again, just great to play Spot the Monster. Because, yeah. you know, for any... Totally. And again, no matter what era of Ultraman you were a fan of, there are monsters from your era here on the graveyard. So it's pretty neat in that, it's, you know, it's, it's almost like a George Perez book, you know? Yeah. And I'm reminded of uh, the story that Jeff um, uh, Johns told when they were doing... we were talking a lot about Infinite Crisis, but this is, this is a Final Crisis one. In Final Crisis, Legion of Three Worlds, where he said oh, yeah, that he'd get yeah. a call from George Perez, and he'd say... You know, Jeff, there's just a lot of guys on this page. Can I add somebody else?
2: <laughs> You're like, I'd like to add a few more.
1: Yes. <laughs> so, uh, with the fight going poorly and Ultra 7 mortally wounded, seemingly, on the monster graveyard, we cut back to the Space Pendragon. And they are invaded by uh, alien Zeton as the giant space dragon Nurse wraps them up like, um, I don't know, like Manda and Atragon. And, uh,. But a mysterious person appears on their ship and fights and defeats alien Zetton, and he reveals himself to be Shin Asuka, a.k.a. Ultraman Dinah, an Ultraman from another dimension. And so they're trying, and the, the crew of the Space Dragon knows they need to go all the way to uh, the M-78 Nebula, and they're far, far away from it, so Dinah agrees to take them to the to this base graveyard, or the monster graveyard, excuse me. And uh, as you referred to, they arrive and they, the crew is able to tackle their compatriot Ray to the ground and beat some sense into him and bring him back from the brink of going all out balls bananas.
2: See, and they, they literally beat some sense into Oh yeah, the captain like, pretty know. much
1: tackles him to the ground.
2: <laughs> he like slams him in the chest with his fist and that's mm-hmm. what finally like sort of snaps him out of it.
1: Yeah, and I like Dinah showing up because... Uh, you know, uh, Tiga and Dinah took place in another dimension, which comes into play more in a later movie. Yeah. Uh, but they, they, he makes a point that oh, I'm still on a journey as well, which is how Dinah ended his series. As like, kind of like a wanderer. And uh, so he, you know, he comes in and we get so we get a nice little shout to the early Heisei Ultraman's, and it's a way to get again get the uh, another alien again to scale and to show yet another ultra hero into the fight.
2: And it's also an effective way for the the human crew to actually make their way to the monster graveyard because at that point they're kind of thinking, well, you know, the Land of Light's like... uh, uh, a million light years away and we don't know how to save our comrade and what are we going to do so then effectively you know dinah can show up and just be like hey i'm like the <laughs> silver surfer like follow my nose yeah. you know and then they go there you know so it's like you're like oh okay well that again it makes sense why the human beings would be involved because they have dinah as their ally mm-hmm.
1: yep so they end up all at the monster graveyard and you know uh, uh our uh our villain is still not really impressed. So Belial ends up just kind of brushing off uh, Dinah and tries to take out the Space Pendragon crew. But uh, Ultra 7 sacrifices himself to save them, but not before he is smart enough to throw his eye slugger into a portal of some kind, knowing that it carries a message and will travel all the way to planet K-78, where it lands right next to... Uh, where we see Leo and our mysterious um, his mysterious charge training. Where during the fight, Leo has caused a giant uh, rock slide to come down on top of uh, his charge, and he stops it not for himself, but to save that little Pigmont. And so, Ultraman, Ultra King, and Ultraman Leo are very impressed that uh, that their charge has uh, saved. A, what they what they say, you saved a small life.
2: Yeah, a small,
1: a small life, which I, which I really like because that ultimately you think about the ultras, the ultra heroes coming to Earth, we're small lives to them. Yeah, you know. Yeah. In fact, I think those, I think uh, Zafi, Zafi and Ultraman kind of have that discussion in the last episode of the original Ultraman about how uh, you know Zafi brings a life with him. And Hayata says, or he says, Ultraman says you have to give it to Hayata, you know, because he's a small life and I'm not and all that, so. Yeah. And so um, with his his training complete, the charge is able to remove his armor and be revealed as Ultraman Zero, and we then find out, and he also finds out his heritage, that he is the son of Ultra Seven. And so it was only out of love that Ultra 7 stopped him from trying to take the plasma spark. And that that is why he is here now training to regain what it takes to be a true Ultra Warrior.
2: Just a note for anybody who are fans of certain anime like I am. I just wanted to mention that Ultraman Zero's voice actor, it's uh, uh, Mamoru uh, Miyano. And he's notable for being the voice actor for Light Yagami in Death Note. Mm. And Setsuna in Mobile Suit Gundam Double O. So okay. that's that's some stuff where if you're a fan of those series, like they they're kind of the lead main characters, mm-hmm. and they both have a, a strong edge to them, I'd yeah. say. And and just like this character, you know, uh, you know, obviously maybe there's some typecasting going on, mm-hmm. but but he again is is voicing what is definitely a character with a, a certain hard edge to him.
1: Yeah, and I'm, I'm not I'm not I'm I'm familiar with Death Note, but I've never really watched it, and my uh Unfortunately, my Mobile Suit Gundam kind of petered out after kind of the original. That's what I, the Mobile Suit Gundam I know the best. Nice. But he does have a really good dramatic voice, and it fits the character really well. Because as you say, he's he's definitely the hero, but he's not what we call like a boy scout. He's got a, a bit of darkness in him still. And and after he um you know he learns his heritage that he's the son of this great hero, this legendary hero, and that the message comes in that you know. Uh, you know that, that everything's going, going, uh, you know, going uh, pear-shaped. You know, the the he's got that kind of um, justified rage, you know, and you can yeah. see that the the fire still burns within this one. You know, it's it's really cool, and I really liked it because I had, you know, I mean, I knew that uh, because by the time I saw this, all of the uh, the second one, *Revenge of Belial*, had already come out, so I kind of knew that. Who Ultra Man Zero was and who his heritage was, but so I didn't realize at the time that we were watching, that as a this, that you know that Zero doesn't know his own heritage, ah, uh, you know, okay. and I thought that yeah. was kind of interesting that Seven hid that from him, maybe you know to make sure that he became his own man, so to speak, and didn't you know not just well my dad's Ultra Seven, you know,
2: I guess yeah that he didn't he didn't have to live in the shadow of Ultra Seven, mm-hmm. I guess yeah he he's uh a, you know a very Interesting character, I think, because the, he he definitely seems to have a little more dimension to him, you know, because he's got that backstory and 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 he kind of you know had that temptation and everything and and I think in in some ways I think this movie learned a lot from the mistakes of. at least in my mind, anyway, people may disagree with me, but in my mind, the mistakes of the Star Wars prequels, you know, the the idea that Yoda would just come in at the end and save the day in Episode Mm 2, and you're like, well, wait a minute, this is... Of course, they couldn't decide whether it was Obi-Wan Kenobi's movie or whether it was Anakin Skywalker's movie in that movie, but one of those two probably should have offered some part of the climactic solution, but they just kind of sat there lumped over like, you know, jerks after, you know... Uh, Dracula kick their, <laughs> their butt, you know, and yep. and so in this case, like there there is a similar instance of yes, you know, Ultraman Zero is coming to save the day, but it, it's set up for, yeah. you know, it, it, it's basically layered into this story, you know, even when when you first are introduced to the quote-unquote Jedi Council of Ultramen with their big capes at the beginning, you know, they say, what about him? You know, so they've already planted him in your mind within the first four minutes, so it still follows that kind of American structure of, hey, you, you were sort of introduced to this character within the first... Four minutes of the movie, yeah, you know. And, so, and, so, I, so I kind of appreciate that.
1: And really, in in a very themat- strong thematic sense, this is the Ultraman Zero, Ultraman Zero's story, even though he's not in the movie for a lot in the first hour, because yeah. the the parallels that are drawn when they're on their when they're, uh, they're uh, hiking to the Plasma Spark Tower is that you know as uh, you know what Belial did when he took the Plasma Spark energy, this is exactly what would have happened to Zero. That Zero would have been turned into this, you know, rampaging uh, despot, a warlord, if he had taken this power because of this great potential he has in him and this, but this darkness that he carries with it. it it's and my my note was drama with an exclamation point underline. <laughs> but uh, but again, you kind of expect that with a Tokusatsu, things are happening broad strokes a lot of the times. But but it's you know I I prefer even the broad stroke drama like that that goes for the you know maybe not subtle but it's still. Uh, you know, it still has uh, pathos to it, and it still has an emotional resonance to it, especially. Yeah, and you, you, uh, you
2: can you can appreciate the magnitude of, of what he could have become mm-hmm. because you've already seen what what Belial's turned into and, yeah. and how how awful he is. You know.
1: Yeah, and there's some good Return of the Jedi here, also. I uh, way back when and. Uh, if you guys go back into the, uh, I think it's in either the Star Wars Monthly Monday uh, archives, you'll find we did a long time ago the Return of the Jedi roundtable. And I said at that time, is that Return of the Jedi is a movie that when you're young and you see it as a, as a young boy, you know, you're a son, right? So you watch the film through the eyes of a son, and you think about how Luke is reacting, because Luke is the son, right? But yeah. then you get older, and you have kids, and now you're a father and a son and the the last act of jedi takes on a whole new meaning for you as a viewer when you're a father and a son because now you're seeing seeing it from vader's point of view
2: i think i think for me just speaking personally mm-hmm. i i am not a father but my experience as a son mm-hmm. is is different you mm-hmm. know because because you know when you probably when i watched return of the jedi as a young kid and i was 5 or 6 or whatever i was obviously not a son that my father—you uh, uh, know—he loved me, but but there there wasn't a, a long enough time had passed where there was this. Mutual respect and admiration, and that kind of experience, and and watching a movie like this in in the present for me, even though I'm not a father, right. the the experience between the father and son, where he's like, you've grown up, like I yeah. see you now, you know, like you're a man now, like that kind of thing, and and if you ever are lucky enough to have that moment with your father, I mean, it's 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 a great experience, you know, that's put on screen for everybody to see, because you see kind of a, a very legitimate torch past, and also this kind of respect and admiration of a father right. for what his son has now become, mm-hmm. even though he's made mistakes in the past. Yes,
1: so. yes. Yeah, so as I said, for a film that ostensibly is just monsters and ultras fighting, for 90 minutes it does sneak in some emotion in there and it does make you think a little bit so I, I really enjoyed that and, and having again the surprise of Zero not realizing his parentage I thought was just, was just a nice touch so uh, so Zero along with uh, Leo and Astra they all take off to uh, the, the monster graveyard and they go and Zero uh, quickly grabs his dad's body and Seven dies in his son's arms and so uh, filled with the uh, the rage reserved for a mostly just anime and tokusatsu characters uh, and professional wrestlers uh, Zero goes crazy and takes out all of the monsters blasting all of them with his various attacks including his two Zero slugger blades
2: he, and, he doesn't. He doesn't have a cape to to take no. off. But but you know when he clenches that one fist and you hear the clench, <laughs> yeah. like he's breaking like limbs or something with it. Like then then you know it's serious.
1: Yeah, you said before shit just got real. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it, shit, shit is shit is real now. It's totally real now. Yeah, and then he blasts Belly All into a giant lava pit, seemingly taking out the big bad. But. All is not as it seems as Belial emerges from the lava pit and resurrects the 100 monsters again to all form into a giant merged monster body for him. So you, it's this gigantic amalgamation of 100 monsters. It looks... it's, it's hard to describe. It looks like if Dark Spectre was made up of all the other monsters from the first... Uh, five seasons of Power Rangers, that'd be a good approximation for what he looks like like this, yeah, with yeah. Elial sitting on the top like a pilot
2: I mean, again, again, these analogies may mean nothing to, to the listeners, <laughs> but you know, the, the, the what I started thinking of is things like the the massive blob at the end of a- a- Akira or, yeah, that's a or good one, yeah. also you know, the um, uh, for, I, I know you've only, you know, you're, you kind of stopped with the original Mobile Suit Gundam, but I'm, I'm thinking of G Gundam. There's a, a big bad, at least in the Mobile Suit arena, called the Dark Gundam, mm. and it's just this weird, it, it's almost like a horrific-looking Gundam, you know, this kind of mishmash of parts or, or, you know, things that don't quite fit right together. It doesn't look like your aesthetically pleasing Gundam. It's this huge, imposing, almost, you know, I, I think, uh, you know, in the American version it was called Dark Gundam but i think actually in the Japanese version it was referred to as Devil Gundam mm-hmm. so it's like very much like this you know Belial is kind of like this almost demonic you know ray bradbury force you know so so it's it's very it's very creepy and 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 almost uh, uh... Like it's almost like a violation of yeah. all these monsters. Right. that Like it's not like they want to be part of. Oh no, he's of,
1: he's clearly yeah. controlling them with his Giga Yeah. And uh, and what's interesting also is that all the monsters seemingly retain their powers. When the ultras try to attack, they like uh, a lot of the ones near the head all shoot their eye beams at once and blast them out of the sky. And when they the, when Leo and Astra land on the body and try to fight it, you know the monsters fight back so they can't even damage the, uh, the giant body of Belial, so, it's, uh, again, it's, it, it's crazy, it, it does the only thing even close to this I can think of is there is a monster in, uh, in, in Tiga, and, oh, I don't remember its name, but it's a giant, like, a, just a giant entity that, you know, is, it looks like an elder god kind of thing, and it dwarfs Tiga. But even that is not quite as uh, as just you know res- repulsively gross as this thing yeah, is in a lot yeah. of ways. So they uh, they all start to fight it, and as they as the battle rages on, the uh, the uh, the Giga Battlenizer, which uh, had been knocked out of the hands of uh, Belial when he was zapped into the lava, Ray finds that and grabs it, and using his own Battlenizer is able to take control of the monsters, and they start revolting against Belial, meaning that he's now paralyzed. So uh, all of the Ultras start firing all their weapons. Leo and Astra do their combo beam. Ultraman starts throwing his uh, energy discs at it. Dyna uses his... um, I think his his beam is called the Dynamite Beam, actually, now that I think of it, or the Dyna Beam, whichever his big cross-shoot is. And uh, Zero absorbs all the energy of the Plasma Spark, and blast the body and Belial, and once and for all, and the day is saved. <laughs> Woo!
2: It's like the coup de grace. It's like he he totally. I. I it, it's almost like they they don't actually chop off Belial's head, but yeah. it's almost like that kind of you know Return of the King. Like I just chopped that guy's head off, and now I am gonna walk away and not <laughs> even look at him. You know, like that's that's how that's how badass it is. Like so, it's it's, it's awesome. It's, yeah. it's a great scene. That it's the. Yeah, it's just, see that, now I feel like Oki, like the the uh, kaiju fanboy on the Pendragon, because mm-hmm. it's like, you know, he, he, the whole time, it's like he's almost a voice for the, the, you know, outrageous fanboy that that yes. voice in your head where you're like, oh my god, <laughs> these all these monsters and they merged <laughs> together, you know. And it's like, and then after you know, Ultraman Zero does all this stuff, it's like he's the strongest Ultraman ever, yeah, just you said know. That. <laughs> yeah, and it's just like, and it's like the excitement, and you feel like, you know, because you know, I I know you brought up, you know, one of the first times we interacted was where you know I had listened to the show that you did with uh, the irredeemable Shag, and you and him were talking about Doc who and i know one of his uh, catchphrases these things he says these days about finding your joy yeah. like this film mm-hmm. it, it with all the the eras and different things in it it's like finding your joy times like a gabillion. Oh, you nice. know it's like it's so cool it's yeah. so
1: awesome this is this is the this was the ultimate ultra party movie like if you've got a you know a house full of uh fans who love giant monsters and Dai kaiju and Godzilla and Ultraman, just throw this on and everyone will have a blast, you know? And, uh, it's, and yeah, the, the, the big fight, the only thing that's odd about the big fight at the end is that I guess it's because specifically that Ultraman is very low on energy. He doesn't use the Specium Ray. He uses the, the Ultra Rings, which is cool because it makes it's a an, it's another old school attack of Ultraman, you know? Yeah. But uh, oh, but like I said, Leo and Astra doing their combined beam, which was always cool, and uh, even the Space Pen Dragon gets into it by f- unloading all of its arsenal. And it's like oh man, this is just it's it's uh, the, the crescendo of what's been at this point about eighty-five minutes of non-stop action.
2: <laughs> yeah, it's great. I mean, it's like it, it's like. It a James Bond action sequence followed by a James Bond action sequence followed (laughs) by a James Bond action sequence followed by, like, a super awesome, super mega cool James Bond action sequence with with some backstory, like, (laughs) sprinkled in the middle of it, you know? So it's like, yeah, it's almost like... I I, I, I was wondering if, like... Because I think this is the second time I've watched this in preparation, but even I was, like, wondering, is my memory colored? Because I was thinking, like, man, this is just... Balls to the wall, non-stop, like, action. And I was like, no, it still is. It, it, <laughs> it really is. I mean, it's just, like, they give you some moments to breathe and everything, but if, if you're a fan of that kind of stuff and, and just seeing people go at it, like, there's, there's just no doubt, like, you're going to totally enjoy this. Yeah.
1: So after the big fight, everybody ends up back on N 78 and the uh, Plasma Spark has returned to the Plasma Spark Tower, and the land of the light is restored to all of its shining green glory and the crew of the space pen dragon are the first peep the first human beings to ever set foot on the land of the light and uh they say their goodbyes to the heroes that they've adventured with and actually Ultraman Dinah, in his human form joins their crew and travels with them as he said he is still on his journey and uh then we see the reunion between uh, Ultraman Zero and the revived uh, Ultra Seven and father and son embrace showing the uh that Seven does love his son, and that he what he did was out of love and not out of uh, you know disgust or anything, any negative emotion. And I really, actually, really like that bit again for a film that is ninety nine point forty four percent action. The little bit of emotion that we get in there is very powerful. I think because it stands out so much.
2: Well, you know, it's it's this great thing, especially because I think. You know, maybe it's a stereotype, but the the culture in Japan, there's a certain amount of, of repression in terms of showing your emotions, mm-hmm. and, and even even zero in the scene. It's almost like he's not sure if he's going to shake his hand or get a pat on the back or what. And then Ultra Seven's like, no, 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 come here, I'm giving yeah. you a hug. Like you, you're my son, and I love you, and and you know that that was all that needed to happen. You know, and and you you're it, it, it's a good payoff. I mean, you know, sometimes sometimes I go back and forth whether I think you know sometimes I'm like well should he have stayed dead would it have given the character more meaning going forward but then you know you also you know get this kind of happy ending that you need to have yeah. in terms of a film like this you know you don't want to end on a downer mm-hmm. so it's like it's it's and it, it does have the same I mean you you go through those emotions anyway you you do kind of think for a minute he you know ultra seven's dead and he's never coming back and and ultra zero has that kind of pensive moment where mm-hmm. he's he's looking at the civilian Ultraman, you know, and they've got, there's this little, like, I don't know what it is. It's like this little pill, but it's supposed to be like a little ultra baby, you know. Yes. And you're like and, and and you can tell he's just like kinda like, Oh, that was me once and, mm. and now I don't have a father, you yeah. know, and this little little ultra baby does have a father. <laughs> and it's just like two seconds of the film, but like all that goes through your head when yeah. you're when you're watching it.
1: And there's some really great one, one of one the, the uh, limitations when doing Daikaiju, of course is that you have to act in a moat when we can't see your face. And yeah. you just act with your body language in the suit. And the you know zero in that scene that you're referring to, when he sees the civilian ultra is going by, yeah. you get everything you need just from his stance, the the, un, the the real discomfort that he feels, the outsider nature that you know he must feel, having you know that he that he could have been the one to destroy the land of the light, and that he's still atoning for his sins, and like you say, that now he'll he, he'll never have that normal family life again because his, his you know he watched his dad die. And so then they, they do the pan, and it's you see we're looking over Zero's shoulder, and the camera is panning just enough that we see Seven coming into focus. And then, again, as you said, with the hesitation on Zero, not sure what his father is going to do. And then it's not just that Seven, you know, Seven grabs him and hugs him. You know, it, yeah. it's almost an aggressive, uh, you know, longingness to hold his son again, you know. And, it, again, it, it's very emotional from a – you know, as as a young man, a father and son sort of moment.
2: Yeah, yeah. And it, it
1: and it and it's and it's again for a film about you know giant red you know red and silver giants fighting monsters. <laughs> it's effective at getting you to feel.
2: Oh yeah, yeah. Total feels. Mm-hmm. Total feels. Especially as you know, like what you're saying. If you're a father, if you're a son, you know, it, it it's going to to hit you on that emotional chord. Mm-hmm. Definitely.
1: And then the, uh, when all is said and done, an Ultraman king uh, congratulates the Ultras on saving the day, but warns them that day shuffle forever must be vigilant for any threats. We cut to a uh, distant uh, meteor where the body of Belial, ooh, the eyes light up, and we know that he is not quite done with what he wants to do to get revenge on the rest of the Ultras. Because... Dun, 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 dun. Dun, dun. <laughs> And I, I might have spoiled it earlier, but the second one is called The Revenge of Belial, so, you know, <laughs> do with that what you will.
2: You know what is coming. No, this this totally, I mean, uh, w- watching this, like, I, I just went crazy after that. Like, I watched The Revenge of Belial, and I watched Ultraman Zero Fight, and I watched yep. the Dark Clops Zero, and yep. I watched, you know, uh, the Ultraman Saga. Like, I mean, I, this, this greatly revitalized my you know interest and enthusiasm for the property and and it's just like I said you know the whole finding your joy thing like this this is definitely a aspect of that I mean I, I would I would almost dare to say that Ultraman Zero is either becoming one of my new favorite Ultraman or if if you know my favorites were like you know Nexus and Mobius like Mm -hmm. I've mentioned on other shows that I've done like I'd say he's he's right there at like number three because I'm I'm super enthused and I I just think this film is is super awesome
1: oh yeah and the stuff that they do in Revenge of Belial as far as getting him like his crew you know, his his boys, as it were. Yeah, you yeah. You know, that just makes Zero all the cooler when it's not just Zero, but now he's got a gang of other cool dudes that he hangs out with.
2: Yeah, well, he's <laughs> he's getting his own little, you know, Avengers or Justice yeah. League or, or whatever you want to call them. Yeah, so it's, it's, it's definitely like... And so. they have that and,
1: one moment where they're all, where it's, uh, you know, it's uh, Zero and Glenfire and Mirror Knight. And Gene Nine and Gene Bot, and they're all posing for the big fight. You know, the caption's like, "You now know that nothing you ever do will be half as cool as."
2: <laughs> <laughs> See, and then, and then, of course, I have that that uh, nefarious collector disease known as team building. So oh. that's like, oh, I want to get the
1: team. Oh yes, know, so. and they, and of course, they didn't miss a beat since they did all four of them. Yeah, and yeah. and uh, actually, the the thing that I'd, I never put two and two together with this until I saw it on um on new New Ultraman uh, anthology when they were on a break from Ginga and they were just doing the actual anthology episodes that his four compatriots are based on the four non Ultraman shows that Tsuburaya did in the, for the, the, the Kyodai Heroes. So it's Glenfire is based on Fireman and um, Jum, uh, Gene, Genebot and Gene9 are based on Jumborg Ace and uh, Jumborg9 and uh, Mirror Knight is based cool. on Mirror Man Okay. And It's like they're yeah. all references to these old Showa one-off Showa shows.
2: <laughs> I've heard of I've heard of Jumborg Ace, but I, I should uh, I don't know if I can check out the other ones. But I'll, I'll, I'll
1: I'll I'll send you a link to and I'll, in fact maybe I'll, I'll probably maybe I'll post it in the show notes if I remember. But I'll, to the episode where they talk about all these on uh, New Ultraman anthology. It's just okay. it's just fascinating. Okay. It's like I never would have put two and two together because you know it, it, that, that's the thing about um, about Daikaiju as a genre. Is that unless your name is like August Dragon, you know, you don't know everything.
2: Yeah. You know, no matter yeah. how
1: much, there's always stuff you don't know because it's so broad. I get emails all the time saying, you know, I like, I like that you cover a broad, wide variety of stuff. I never had any idea that all this stuff was out there. And it's like, yeah, there's there's stuff that there's stuff that da, people who've been Daikaiju fans for their whole lives still don't know. That's how crazy this genre is, after all. Yeah. But uh, oh yeah, but this this was great fun. I, I've I've watched this film a couple of times now. It's just a blast every time I watch it, and uh, I just have a it's just a ton of fun. It you know these a lot of these um, these modern tokusatsu films they're they're not super deep but they're just really great fun to get just a you know a big tall glass of your favorite beverage and just throw it on the, uh, the big screen and just have a ball and that's what I did for this. This was this was just a ton of fun.
2: That's pure escapism. Mm-hmm.
1: And and I would I agree with you. Don't make sure you don't have like HLJ or Ami-Ami logged in while you're doing this.
2: <laughs> yeah, you just start cranking cranking up the, the credit cards though. Yeah, it's just
1: like, oh my god, how am I gonna pay for these? <laughs> so why do you need a second mortgage, Mister Jack and Eddie? Well, you see, it's a funny story.
2: <laughs> like I I have to get all of Ultraman Zero's buddies. I gotta make the team.
1: Like, uh huh. <laughs> It's like,
2: who who else is going to save the universe? You?
1: (laughs) Turn into a few good men there. Um, Just, uh, now, as you said, uh, you can find this film. uh, I. I not is there a fan sub available because I have the the Malaysian DVD which has wonderful oh. American subtitles on it.
2: Oh really? Yeah, oh, that's interesting. I I watch the Grown Ups in Spandex. Oh,
1: yes, okay.
2: Uh, fan sub. Mm-hmm. So that's that's what I was using uh, when I said it said Ray Brad. I don't know if if Ray Brad is on the um
1: yeah Ray Brad is on you? the is on the uh, the the Malay DVD as well. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah, so you could check, so I got my Malay DVD through eBay. You can get uh, Grown Ups and Spandex. They do great work. They did, I think they did all of Mega Monster Battle, the series. They didn't do Never Ending Odyssey, I don't think. But they've, they're, they've, they're a well-established fan subgroup, so you can check them out. And just, just give it a download and check it out. It is well worth the effort to track this down. If you're even approaching being an Ultraman fan, and I think if you're listening to this show, I think that's kind of a, a given that you at least have some proclivity to watching big dudes and rubber fight big rubber monsters. And if you're not, you should give it a try because, like, uh, like as you were, as you uh, referred to at the beginning, Derek, this gives you everything you need to know in the first two minutes.
2: Yeah, you're 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 set up. It's not like you're coming into this cold or anything like that. Mm-hmm. And and I'm I'm sure if people are fans of other things, whether it's you know cosmic comic books or, or Star Wars or Star Trek or anything, there. I I mean I I think people would respond to this well, even coming from those other properties or genres.
1: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. All right. Well, Derek, why don't you uh, give everybody a quick rundown on where they can hear you uh, elsewhere on the Internet?
2: Yeah, they, they can hear me over at uh, the Fan Holes Podcast, which is over at... Uh, uh, fanholespodcast.blogspot.com. And then uh, I've also got a video series, which I haven't updated in a long time, and everybody's mad at me, but I swear I'll have a new episode out one of these days. Over at uh, History of Comics on Film, it's actually hocof.blogspot.com, where I just kind of cover each film or TV version of a comic book character. I'm going in chronological order, so hopefully... Uh, the next one that will be out is Superman the movie, so I'm, I'm working on it. It's being edited, I swear.
1: <laughs> hey, I know how it goes. My uh, my Hawkman blog, I say periodically updated. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, well,
2: you know, it, it's like it'll be ready when it's ready.
1: But yeah, yeah, it'll it'll be out. I promise. Mm. Yeah, fanholes is a. You guys cover such a wide variety of stuff, not just on your main show, but also on all your uh, secondary shows like Toku Thursday and Mobile yeah. Sunday's. So it's yeah. always something interesting to to listen to. I know as of recording, you guys just put out your Rock Lords podcast.
2: Yeah, that was on the the what we like to refer to as the podcast proper. Yes. You know, and then and then we we do things like Sentai Saturdays, mm-hmm. Toku Thursdays. Um, Transformers Tuesdays because we all met on a Transformers message board, so that's that's kind of all well, some of our common interests. And then uh, also we do Mobile Suit Mondays. Yeah. So uh, unlike you, were you stopped at the original Mobile Suit Gundam, like we are well enthralled with with all the different series and, I, and continue to sort of cover those.
1: And so. my, I don't have a particular issue that I don't like about Mobile Suit Gundam. It's just that I personally was always drawn more. To super robot more so than real robot yeah. anime. Well,
2: that, yeah, that would make sense.
1: You know, I mean, I, I'm a big fan of uh, Brave Riding and Mazinger yeah, Z yeah, and all those. Totally. So, you know that it's it's just a different take, and that's that's one of the things that I really like about the Tokusatsu community is, and even even I'm not really in the anime online community, but what I've what I've noticed about it is that there's such a, a, a depth of stuff available that. It, we, I think we're starting to see this, we're starting to come around to this a little bit with the comics in, in America, and the American comics scene is that it's not a zero sum game. We can all like different stuff and it's cool. You know, and we can all say, okay, well, if you like this, maybe you should check out this because it has an element like this that you might like. And it's not, oh, you don't like this? Well, you suck. You know.
2: Right, right. Guess, nobody's nobody's at everybody's throat yeah. about about their particular interests or in, passions.
1: Yeah, in the tokusatsu community I've really noticed that. You'll get some guys that are dicks. I mean that, that happens in any group. But I think it's the, the tokusatsu folks are so used to being marginalized and put upon that <laughs> now they've kind of just banded together. It's like, Oh, I've never seen Kikaida, but that sounds awesome. <laughs>
2: Yeah, I think for me, even like with the history of comics on film of when I tried to cover everything, you know, one thing that maybe your listeners would like to check out specifically is I, I did do the Toei Spider-Man, Spider-Man. By series, you know, and so, so, you know, and that is Tokusatsu. And I do sort of have plans to cover Battle Fever J as part of my ongoing, you know, chronological coverage. And, and I mean, it's just, to me, it's always fascinating to, to see all that stuff because I think that's, that's part of the reason why I was turned on to Earth Destruction Directive in the first place because, you know, in researching about you know, different things that were going on with the Toei Spider-Man show. It's like, you know, Shogun Warriors comes into it, and, you know, IP swaps, and how that all worked and everything, and I I found all kinds of cool places, you know, in addition to Earth Destruction Directive, you know, like Hero Envy, and, you know, everybody was covering, like, the Shogun Warriors, and that's, it's a weird thing, because I, I was born when they came out, so it's like one of those things where it's like, I have vague Memories, but mm-hmm. not anything strong. And then, you know, after sort of researching about it, that's when I read, like, all those comic books. Yeah. You know? So it's like, and it's great to listen to your show every week and, and hear you do coverage on them, because all that stuff is awesome.
1: Oh, yeah. And and I, I remember when, uh, now, I, I want to say, at one point, Marvel had all of Supaita Man on subtitled on their website, didn't they? I don't know if they still Yeah, do. yeah, that's
2: that that's that that's where most of my footage came yeah. from.
1: So, <laughs> you know, I, I don't know
2: if they still do or not. I haven't been there in a while, but but they, they had it on their site where you could, you know, watch all the videos. I don't know if it was different. I think they were already owned by Disney at that point. Yeah. But I can't yeah. remember
1: I, so. I, I remember that you know I remember when the Superior Spider Man came around. I said if Marvel really wanted to take a ballsy change to Spider Man they would bring in Lepard on you know well
2: it's interesting (laughs) because now that they're doing that I I haven't been reading it but I I think my other fan holes want me to cover it on the uh the proper podcast, but I know they're doing that Spider Verse thing, and yeah. I know in like that myriad web of different, uh, you know, universes Spider Men. I know, you know, Spider Man. You know, you could see him there with his little, you know, bracelet and everything mm-hmm. to call the apart on. So, you know, I mean, y- if they ever did anything like that would, in more detail, that'd be pretty awesome. Yeah. I mean, as long as they don't have uh, Morlin like break his neck or something, yeah. but, like they've been doing <laughs> with all these other guys, but you know.
1: Hey, you know, a push comes to shove, a giant robot comes in handy.
2: Yeah, I know, dude. I, I want to see the, the little comic where it's like, Moreland comes to, like, beat up Spider-Man, and then Leopardon just steps on Morlin yeah. and is like, and end of crossover, I'm going to, like, like yeah. squish him under the, the heel of my boot. You heard it here first, folks.
1: <laughs> so if Dan Flott breaks this one out, you know where to go. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Send us our check. <laughs> nice. Well, Derek, it's been great talking Ultraman with you. Thank you very much for coming on the show, and uh, I hope we can we can hook this up again sometime. Maybe we'll do Revenge of Belly All at some point.
2: Yeah, that and, sounds uh, awesome,
1: man. And uh, now, now depending on the wibbly wobbly timey wimeyness of this, there may be more team ups between uh, Earth Destruction Directive and Fanholes in the near future, or yeah, I, it may have it. already happened.
2: Yeah, yeah, I need to I need to ask you about that because I, I I have some some stuff slotted and, and dated, <laughs> but I'm I'm gonna ask you what you're gonna do because I, I I was leaning towards this is gonna be the first one
1: since it is the first one. I know it's
2: crazy, but yeah. I, I I figure I'd wait on you, but, but yeah, we'll yeah. see what what how it all works out. That,
1: that's that's just some of the wonderfulness of you know peeling back the fourth wall here on on the podcast game. <laughs> Yeah, you know, I, it ended up playing years and years in advance you know you had to get the Monza contracts over there the Fan Holes guys had to go through their lawyers back and forth translated back and forth to Italian you know it's the, the vagaries of it all but uh you know, we do it because we, we love our giant heroes fighting the,
2: the fan holes don't even speak English, so it made it increasingly, <laughs> increasingly difficult.
1: Well, that's the thing with, with Signori Monzo you know. I mean, every, every time I've spoken to him, he's been a, just an absolute gentleman, but, uh, you know, you don't want to get on his bad side. That's all i got to say about that, you know. Uh, yeah. And you want to make sure you have all your shots when they send over the with the, the ladyboys. But, uh, again, that's just a little bit behind the scenes, a peek behind how things work here at Two True Freaks. But, uh <laughs> So, again, Derek, thank you very much for coming on. I hope everybody out there uh, enjoyed the show. And uh, please go check out Fanhole's podcast. I, if you're listening to a Two True Freaks show, you will uh, enjoy and appreciate what they got going on over at the Fanhole. So, thanks again for coming on, Derek.
2: Yeah, you're very welcome. This is awesome. Again, big fan of the show, and I love talking about Ultraman, so anytime you want to, I'm willing to do so. Hey,
1: sounds good to me. And for everyone out there, again, uh, coming back next time, I'll have, uh, I'm not sure what's going to be next time, but we'll have something good. And uh, so until then, keep them stomping.
0: All movies, TV shows, comic books, characters, and other intellectual property is copyright their respective copyright holders, and no infringement is intended or implied. If you'd like to send an email to the show, you can email me at earthdestructiondirective at yahoo.com. I respond to all emails, and if you send in some comments, I'll read them on the show. All episodes of Earth Destruction Directive can be found at two twotruefreaks.com. Well, it's big and terrible. More frightening than
1: I ever thought possible.